If you're sitting in this unsweet spot between three and five dollars a day, you're making too much to get the subsidies which are available for the lowest income uh, quintile. But you're not making enough to be financially completely secure. You can put a roof over your head. You can send your children to basic schooling. You can put food on the table every day. But these are all basic. It could be a slum and basic food and that kind of stuff. But there's no savings. There's definitely no rainy day savings. Those are the folks that have the vulnerability when something comes up, any kind of emergency, any kind of thing that needs a financial immediate need. So that population is the one that we are focused on. From PHI Media, I'm Gordon Thane, and this is Medical Emergencies, Financial Catastrophes, and India's Hope, Episode 206, The Devastating Impact of Medical Bills in India. This is part two in a three-part series, where we continue the conversation with Gayatri Mathur. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health, from the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. India, a nation with a population close to 1.5 billion people, currently boasts a GDP of almost 3 trillion US dollars. Just over 3.5% of this gets allocated to healthcare. For comparison, Brazil spends just under 10% and the US in the ballpark of around 16%. And this essentially means that 3.5% of the value created by India's economy is reinvested back into healthcare in any given year. Now, the major challenge here is that almost two-thirds of the money that India uses to fund the healthcare system comes directly out of the pocket of citizens, ranking it amongst the highest in the world. In addition to being underfunded, one of the challenges is that India's healthcare system operates through two distinct sectors, the public and the private. And this dichotomy leads to a system that requires careful navigation, especially for those without financial means. And as you'll hear, accessing medical services is not a uniform experience. As you know, India does have government hospitals and public health care. Mm-hmm. But when you go to a government hospital, the doctor's diagnosis and doctor's work will be paid for by the government. So the patient doesn't have to pay for that. The hospital admission is free. But when you have to get any kind of uh, test, even if it's a blood test, anything from a blood test to an X-ray all the way to an MRI, you have to pay for it, even in a government hospital. Yes, the rates are not obviously the same as private. They are significantly subsidized, but you do have to pay for that. So 65% of medical expenditure in the in India is out of pocket. And that's one big issue for families because if you have a credit card you can just use your credit card and access the medical system but if you don't then obviously that becomes a significant burden access to healthcare in india is marked by disparities between urban and rural areas language barriers and cultural factors 
The public health system, governed independently by 28 states and seven territories, faces variations in the delivery of the models, coverage, and its efficiency. Despite government efforts to promote traditional medicine and expand healthcare coverage, these disparities still persist, especially in the rural regions. I asked Gayatri if she could put her finger on why some of these challenges still persist. In India, again, I'm going to point back to the issue of scale. We will say that the topmost tier in India gets the best care in the world, literally. You have the best equipment, you have the best hospitals, you have the best doctors, and it's really comparable to anywhere in the world. So uh, that's a small segment of the population. Now, the reality is that in urban centers, you do have access to health, but still there are women who are pregnant who live far away from a clinic and they have to get into you know, a, a bullock cart and ride that bullock cart to get to the clinic. And then if it's a government clinic, the nurse or doctor may or may not be there that day because that level of commitment is not the same everywhere at every institution. There's a, not a whole lot of funding at the national level. So, you know, funding is definitely a national issue. But uh, as I said, it's de facto private healthcare because if most of your healthcare expenses are out of pocket, then it ends up being that there are, again, private providers at all levels. You have the best. And you also have private providers at a lower, cheaper level where they're providing that kind of care. Then in terms of access, which is, you know, our biggest issue for Sundra Foundation, we feel there are so many barriers. Finance is only one of them. Consider, for example, if you are a migrant worker, supposing you, you come into from the north of the country, you speak one language and say you move into a southern state. You don't speak the language, really. So in healthcare, getting a comfort level to trust the provider, to even explain what is going on with your child, for example, is very important. And language could be a barrier. So there are just so many things that could determine how that care is received, that it becomes multifactorial. There are really very many uh, factors that come together to either help or limit how much care you can receive. So I, I generally stay away from making any blanket statements because it's really, again, we were talking about nuanced conversations. That would not be a nuanced thing to say that it's always like this or always like that or you never get this or you never get that because any and all things are possible. Everything from not being able to reach a doctor. So here's another uh, example. There are so many cultural factors which are outside the control of any government or uh, any particular individual. Here's another example that I'll uh, share with you. During COVID, we work with one with a partner, and one of those partners' children lives live used to live in Mumbai, but the father was in construction, and so they moved to their village. Now the child fell sick. She was in the ninth or 10th grade at the time. Um, she was nausea, throwing up, high fever. They took her to the local doctor. Uh, and the local doctor gave her some basic medicine and sent her home, but she didn't get any better. And the family took her back again. And the doctor said, you know, um, we are, she's going to have to have surgery. 
And the family said, well, uh, we don't want her to have surgery because if she does, then she'll have this scar and that will be a negative thing for her as a girl. And uh, she continued to get sick. Now, they contacted the family, was in touch with the doc- with the teacher who was uh, Mumbai-based. And the teacher said to the family, you know, now she's getting really ill. You need to move her to the state capital or to a big town. So she had to take an ambulance for four hours. She drove in an ambulance from her little village to the state capital. And then when she reached there, the mother said they heard that she's going to have to have surgery to get this infection removed. And the mother said, I don't want surgery and because then nobody will marry my daughter. And the doctor said, well, if you don't have surgery, you won't have a daughter to get married off. So, you know, it was very stark, the choice for the mom. And obviously she said yes. And we had provided the funds for that surgery. So there now remained no barriers. She had her surgery and she completely recovered. In hindsight, it was just a little bump in the road. Uh, I met her when I went last time. She's an amazing young woman, very articulate, full of moxie. She has dreams. She wants to become a psychologist. She wants to help people. And, you know, she's phenomenal. But so many things could have gone wrong. And so many things had to come together to get her the care that she needed. So it's really not just one issue or one solution. That's the other thing. There are multiple solutions that are going to be required then obviously that becomes a significant burden. If you live on the other side of the world, what you might not realize is that India's economy is showing positive signs, which is also reflected in the country's population health status indicators, with strides in life expectancy, poverty reduction, and overall economic prosperity. Now, the government has introduced meal programs in schools, among some other programming, And yet, malnutrition continues to pose a challenge. Gayatri shares a story that she recalls to illustrate this point. I visit India regularly um, and literally you are in a big city and you take a 360 degree turn, pretty much every big center has construction. You will see cranes. Right now, India is really, the economy is in a very bullish state. People are very excited. I'll tell you a little story. One of uh, the visits that I made to was a government school in Mumbai. And uh, we had, you know, I'd asked the teacher, uh, one of the kids in this classroom had received aid, but not all teachers want to talk about it. So I always check with the teacher, what is it that you need to do? And she said, I want you to talk about um, nutrition. So the children eat their government provided Uh, meals, which is, you know, rice and lentils or dal. And there is a bread and veggies and milk and all that sort of stuff so that the kids eat it because they don't all get this at home. So it's important that they eat here well in school. So we were talking about that. And there was back and forth and why you need to drink milk and, you know, basics like that. These were probably great kids, third, fourth grade kids. Um, And we finished that. And then I said, look, I want to take pictures with you kids. Of course, I asked the teachers. The children were very excited. I had just got a phone and I pulled out my phone. I'm not a huge tech person. So I wouldn't know what this phone was. But when I went to the store, I had said, this is what I want. And I went and bought it. 
I pulled out my phone and half the class said, oh, Didi, this is meaning, oh, you know, Didi is a, is a uh, honorific, I guess. And they said, Didi, this is an iPhone 14 Pro Max or whatever the heck it is. And I was flabbergasted. This, you know, phone is probably in is a family's income for a year. And they knew what it was. They knew how much it cost. They knew the features. They recognized it on site. So the point is that I instantly realized that they all feel that they can achieve these dreams of owning one of these. They feel connected to that tech. There's so much optimism. They're, they're really excited about the future, which is fantastic right? This is what we want for the kids. Um, they were not up on their nutrition and why they should drink milk, but they knew about the phone. As is the case for many countries, challenges persist in balancing growing economy with the diverse healthcare needs of its people. Gayatri highlights a particular issue of scale. So there is that dichotomy right there. Uh, and that kind of explains a lot of things uh, that is currently going on. People are very excited in the overall economy. But um, the big problem in India remains scale, right? 1.4 billion people, the population is uh, huge. For example, the US has, I don't know, 320 or 330 million people today. So we know that the uh, poverty rate has significantly improved even in the last 10 years a huge change. I mean, I, there's a huge middle class. A lot of the people have now started making a lot more money. So you can see that on the street. There's consumption in all kinds of ways. People are not riding bicycles anymore. They all have two wheelers now. Uh, the people who had two wheelers now have small cars. You get loans, you can buy homes. So all that is very obvious in the economy. Despite the significant progress for the economy, Many families are still living close to the poverty line and are unable to withstand unforeseen financial pressures, one being out-of-pocket medical expenses. Gayatri breaks down in particular that there is typically a lack of safety net for the working poor, people working but not quite earning a living wage. According to the UN, probably um, the moderate poverty level is about uh, between three and five dollars a day, and that's probably um, about forty percent of the population. So, still a very large number, more than the whole population of the U.S., and that is really the population that we hope to serve, because people who make less than two dollars a day get government assistance, a lot more government assistance. People who make seven dollars a day or more will probably have a salary and have access to some sort of formal banking financial system. And if you have a salary, then you know that something is coming in. You have that surety for a bank or some formal institution to give you money. But if you're sitting in this unsweet spot between 3 and $5 a day, you're making too much to get the subsidies which are available for the lowest income uh, quintile. But you're not making enough to be financially completely secure. You can put a roof over your head. You can send your children to basic schooling. You can put food on the table every day. But these are all basic. It could be a slum and basic food and that kind of stuff. But 
there's no savings. There's definitely no rainy day savings. Those are the folks that have the vulnerability when something comes up, any kind of emergency, any kind of thing that needs a financial immediate need. So that population is the one that we are focused on. Through her foundation, Gayatri has worked closely with many families to provide financial assistance to those who are unable to cover the cost of medical emergencies. These families would otherwise have to make heartbreaking decisions, often compromising other basic needs to make ends meet. Kaitri shares a story on the positive impact she's seen through her work. Well, I'll be able to share the success stories that we have, and they're, they are heartening. Uh, because the things that can come together do. Many, many times they do, sometimes they don't. We had a, a family where one of the family members fell sick with dengue fever. And, you know, the lady of the house actually sold her jewelry because there was no access again to money and took the person who was sick into the hospital. It was a small private hospital. And as soon as they admitted him, it was obvious to the team there, to the medical team there, that he was sicker than they could handle. And they literally told the family, please leave the hospital, take him and leave. Now, she had already sold her jewelry. She had no money left. They had no money left. They had nowhere to go. Uh, They contacted a friend of theirs who was also in the community, and he directed them to go to a a proper hospital with a proper ICU. He contacted Sundar Foundation. We work with the partner. And uh, that partner then was able to get them admitted and get them to the correct hospital with an ICU where he stayed for, it was, you know, not that long. It was only a day and a half of an ICU stay. And then he came out and was in the hospital for four or five days. It was an infection. So once the infection got resolved, he was able to go back to work and everything was fine. But there is a decision that sometimes you need an advocate to tell you what is right. They have no access, like I said, to any formal financing to go and borrow. So you sell a capital asset. And even after you sell that capital asset, necessarily, your problem isn't solved. But again, we solved the financial problem, at least, because all these other things have to come together as well. This was a story where there was an ideal outcome. But unfortunately, Not all of them turn out that way. We have another story, which is unfortunately not so happy. And again, many things had to go wrong here. You know, uh, one of our partners is an educational institution and this child was with his friends. They had gone to play on a Saturday and they unfortunately decided to go to where the train shed is. And he, young man, he must have been in the ninth grade. He climbed up on a train carriage And uh, his friends were saying, you know, come on down. That's really not where you should be. But he said, no, I'm just going to take a selfie real quick. So he took the selfie, but he slipped and he held on to something which happened to be a 10,000 volt wire. And so he got burned and uh, fell down and had, you know, electric burns. His friends immediately called his father. Now, in this case, the problem was between the parents. They were divorcing. They went around to different hospitals, which didn't admit him. Finally, went to a public hospital, which admitted him. And then the father wasn't allowed to visit. And the mother, they were having all kinds of complications between them. But 
the father was finally able to go and see the kid and you know the kid did say goodbye because he ended up passing we arranged for him to go to the hospital and get the care we obviously didn't know the outcome and we spent the money that needed that he needed at the time but it didn't have a good outcome and part of the reason is that the you know they were living in an area which is um, there's a lot of substance abuse amongst the parents the children don't have any advocates apart from their teachers and there's a lot of issues that are playing into these uh, individual scenarios but overall i think we've had obviously there are a few kids who have passed uh, or people who have not made it but for the most part we find that giving money really solves the problem and that's why we chose this particular vulnerable moment to help a family so that the medical problem doesn't become a financial catastrophe and that's why we chose that vulnerable time to help families so that have to have these other issues particularly finances limit someone and these other issues do get taken care of in many cases through this conversation we learned that as a whole india's healthcare access was improving and that there had been significant investment in the country's economy given that it seemed like healthcare access and economic development were closely linked i asked gayatri about the future outlook and what gives her encouragement about where the country is heading even from 10 years ago we can definitely see that more people are able to access more medical care there are a lot more uh, you know infrastructural improvements that i think um, you there are more rural hospitals there are more rural clinics there are more professional staff at these rural uh, places so there's a lot of uh, work being done and in terms of you know the economy i'm certainly no expert so i don't want to opine in a, a professional sense on that but uh, it seems very obvious that the government has an infrastructure project that is going that roads are being built and all i mean there's a huge economic um, you know upswing which is like i said it's it's very obvious when you go to india in terms of consumption and construction and uh, a way to drive from one place to another from one city to another which you couldn't have even a few years ago uh, it's very easy now so those aspects simply lift everybody out and give them more money and ways to earn m- more money to then afford the healthcare that you need um however infrastructure changes that we need in the indian healthcare system aren't going to be quick that you're not going to see a turnaround in 3 years or 5 years it's going to be slow but it is happening meanwhile though the population that needs the help is also still there we have to continue to keep the infrastructure going for uh, the health infrastructure for the education infrastructure that continues to need to be built up uh, while the physical infrastructure is, is clearly that is being addressed in a in a very obvious way Gayatri paints a vivid picture of India's economic development and in particular how that has facilitated improved healthcare access for many. Not lost on her though are those who still are barely able to make ends meet and the importance of having safety nets in place. Coming up next, we conclude this three-part mini-series with Gayatri about how she harnesses her superpower 
through the Sundra Foundation to cover medical expenses for more than 100 families per year and her plans to reach even more people in need in the future. That's next time in Medical Expenses, Financial Catastrophes, and India's Hope. This show was edited by me, Gordon Thane, with additional editing from LaShawn Benedict. Sound design and mixing by myself and LaShawn Benedict. The original music from The Music Room, composed by Tom Fox, licensed from Johnny Harris. The cover art design for our show by LaShawn Benedict. The Public Health Insight Podcast is produced by PHI Media. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.